Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It is good to be with you again. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also go to our website, johnwarrenmedia.com, if you'd like more information about our work. Send along a comment on our contact form or send an email to john at johnwarrenmedia.com. Our guest again today was our guest last week. Uh, He is my friend. His name is Pastor Charlie Parrish. He is senior pastor of a church called Foothills Community Church in beautiful Marble Hill, Georgia. Marble Hill is located, it's a, it's a very small community, located about an hour's drive uh, north of Atlanta, near the beautiful Big Canoe area. It's kind of between Dawsonville and Jasper, and uh, I've had the pleasure of getting to know Charlie over several years, and Charlie, I, I so appreciate you coming back for another episode. Thank you, John. Always a pleasure to be with you. All right. I'm going to ask you a question. I bet every pastor wishes they could be asked, which, and I think it's just essential because I, I, you know, we all see some bad behavior in this regard, but tell me if you would just give me, just pour your heart out a little bit discussing really how we, the congregation can support our pastor. How how can the church, the local church, support its pastor? And I, I, I know that's, that might even be an uncomfortable topic, but I think it's essential that we do that. Uh, and I've got a couple of follow-up questions after that one. I truly believe that's a very important question. Uh, number one, I would say pray for your pastor. And I don't mean that in just speaking, uh, you know, hey, pray, but really pray for your pastor. Pray for uh, the burden and the joy that he has upon his shoulders. He's carrying a weight of responsibility that's eternal. He's watching over the sheep. He's watching over God's elect. And guiding them in truth is something that he needs his soul guarded as well. So pray that that the Lord protects his soul and uh, also his family. Uh, Look out for your pastor's family. Um, You know, there's the old mentality, um, very old, that, that the pastor of any church since he is called by God, should uh, just live in sackcloth and ashes <laughs> in a corner somewhere yep. uh, because they, he's a called man of God. But that mentality is nowhere in Scripture. In, in fact, First uh, Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul uh, gives a lot of examples, but he says, uh, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Um, or is it Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? And then Paul goes on to quote the Old Testament law of Moses uh, don't muzzle the ox when it's treading out the grain. What Paul's saying is, uh, take care of those who are working for you and profiting you and benefiting you. Look at your pastor's family. Pray for them, but not only pray for them, but but look out for their needs. Make sure that they are able to meet those needs. But but yeah, that's a very very broad question. Very important. Just keep him in your prayers because he is uh, leading the sheep of God in their sanctification weekly. Yeah, you make a good point. When we say that we're going to pray for someone, we should pray for them yeah. and and not just firing off a quick 30-second prayer so we so we didn't lie. Do, yeah. do I sound guilty? 
<laughs> when I say that, but, but, but actually methodically praying. And I'm wondering if you could help us do that more effectively. And I, and I, and I, I almost said, I want to get into some real practical things, but prayer is practical, isn't it? But, yes. but I do have a couple of follow-up questions to that, but I, I wonder if you could help us know how to pray for our pastor. And, and you gave us some ideas just a minute ago, but what are the, and you said a mouthful and I, I heard you, but just to explain it, just to sort of flesh it out a little further, what, what, what are the things that I, w- I would imagine being a pastor of any congregation is incredibly stressful and yeah. a pastor plays a number, doesn't play, but, but fills a number of roles and there's a counseling role. There's a shepherding role. There's a, there's a teaching and preaching role. There's a leadership role. Th- those aren't distinct. They all kind of weave together, don't they? And, yes. and, you know, you and I were talking before we came on and we were talking about the, just the, the weight, uh, the burden, the, the, uh, the challenges that, and this wasn't specific to you, it was to, to the, to the generic pastor, but talk about, give us an idea of what it's like to be Pastor Charlie Parrish. And, and, and that's not to, you know, criticize anybody or talk about just negative issues, but what are the specific things that are that are hard on a pastor that are challenging or, or give us give us a little more in terms of real specific areas that we can pray for. Well, I think that many times when we talk about prayer, we need to pray that that we can be the answer to the prayer we're praying, if that makes sense. That's what I wanted you to say. Yep. I think we can pray, you know, hey, Lord, uh, help this man. Uh, you know, I pray for my pastor, uh, but but are we thinking about how can I be the answer to that prayer? In other words, in other words, engage, engage. Uh, one of the hardest parts in pastoral ministry, and I believe this goes across the board for any church, is is plugging people in and getting the body of Christ uh, to actually be the body of Christ and and serve in many areas. We forget uh, that Paul uses the analogy of body. Uh, it's not just one man or two men doing all the work as pastors. We are coming together. The pastors are to feed the flock, but the flock is to be the literal body in service uh, in, in gospel proclamation. So one of the questions you know that, that a congregant can ask or someone that goes to a church, uh, are you serving your local church? Because that is a tremendous help to your pastor. Uh, are you digging in? Are you uh, standing firm on the Word of God? Uh, many times, uh, pastors, especially nowadays, those pastors that are standing firm on the faith are dealing with a lot of uh, criticism because, uh, as we know, we I think we talked about last episode, the culture and cultural Christianity is beginning to uh, infuse its views that are not biblical. So uh, a pastor that stands strong in the Word of God is going to have uh, an onslaught of opposition. And when we talk about supporting a pastor— uh, am I standing beside my pastor as long as he is standing on the Word of God uh, against this onslaught? And, and I have to say, uh, the church that I serve at, Foothills Community Church, I have been tremendously blessed uh, by God bringing alongside many, many saints uh, who stand firm on God's Word. And uh, it just makes evangelism, it makes ministry such a joy uh, to walk in. So I, I would say be the answer to the prayer you pray. Yeah. And, you know, that means uh, if 
if you're wondering how to support your pastor, there's probably a, in business, we call it a chain of command, but there's, you know, a, there's a hierarchy of some kind. There's a, there's a system. There's usually a session in most churches. You know, biblical eldership is an entirely different conversation. And I know that you've, you've employed that biblical model at Foothills, but what you're talking about is, you know, volunteer to serve. And as you were talking, I was thinking of Romans 12 and you, you can probably explain this more articulately, but it, but Paul kind of says, you know, employ your gifts as you are gifted and don't treat one part of the body like it's not necessary. So, so the, I'll just say it my, in my crude way of thinking, the person who ch- stacks or unstacks the chairs for a class is as valuable as the person who does, who stands at the door and shakes hands. Um, Absolutely. And, and talk about that just for a minute, because isn't that a way, I think what you just said is that's a way for us to love our pastor. Yes. Uh, you know, Paul, Paul gave a great analogy. He said, you know, the body wouldn't be the body without uh, the, the nose, the feet, the ears. And his point was not one body part is more important than another. Uh, it takes the whole, every part of that body to function and do something. So, you know, even things like stacking chairs or, or whatever it is, those are serving the church uh, and ultimately uh, walking in obedience to your spiritual leaders. Hebrews thirteen seventeen talks about obeying your spiritual leaders. That is uh, those that are placed in spiritual authority over your soul, watching over your soul, over your pastors and your elders. Uh, in fact, it says in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, their work is to watch over your soul, and they are accountable to God. Uh, and then the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, give them reason to do this with joy and not sorrow. So we should ask ourselves, uh, am I giving my pastor reason to rejoice in ministry? Uh, or am I being a thorn? Am I bringing up things that are not relevant? Is everything or my concerns rooted in Scripture? Or in my opinions, and, and therein lies uh, the, the, the root of many problems in churches is people bring their opinions, their preferences, what they want rather than scripture to the doors of the church leadership. And, and you know, then it can go many different ways that are not good. In other words, you just said, if my pastor is a biblical preacher, yes, then I, I should... I should allows the wrong word, but I should be very tolerant and supportive of my pastor preaching truth, even if I don't like it, even if it, yes. even if it, especially if it rubs me, if it prompts me to examine myself, if it causes me angst, if I go home thinking, man, he was talking to me, um, you, you, you weren't talking to him, <laughs> whoever that was, you don't do that, but yes. But isn't that another way that we can, you know, support the work of the Holy Spirit in and through the pastor, even in his preaching, if well, if, glad, if the pastor is a biblical pastor? I'm glad you prefaced that because that's the key to it. If you have a godly man who is called of God that is preaching faithfully the yeah. scriptures. Yeah, I'm not uh, suggesting we follow a false teacher over the edge of the cliff. Well, see, and again, there, there's the beauty of the church in and of itself, the biblical church. Because if a church follows God, but Paul's commands and ultimately God's command in First Timothy of how the church is to be structured, you know, with elders, then they are going to keep that pastor accountable if they are godly men, if they are true called men of God as yes. elders. 
but they're going to keep that man accountable, the pastor. So you're not going to have to worry about your pastor uh, being wayward as far as his, you know, preaching and, and unfaithfulness. Uh, he's going to be spot on, or, or if he's not, he's going to be called out by the elders. Uh, and that's the beauty of eldership, guarding the pastor. It's why I love uh, elders, because we're, we're all sinful. We're all prone to uh, have blind spots. And uh, I want my blind spots called out before they get aired out, if you know what I mean. You, you do. Um, you do. But, but you know, there's a, isn't there a way? Don't we have to, like, add a quick caution to that to, to do it in love and grace? We do. We do. And, and that's something that you approach anybody, yeah. not just pastor, pastors, but your brother, yeah. your sister. Yeah. Christ. Yeah. But, uh, but, but it's, it's not to- loving. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it's not loving. Pardon the double negative. Not, not to tell the truth. And if you're an elder, hold the pastor accountable. That's exactly right. And, uh, and the way I, I tell people to go about that is, you know, if you see a deficiency or, or somewhere that, that is neglected by someone, uh, anyone in the body of Christ that needs to be addressed, you, you pull them over privately and you just say, look, I've got many blind spots in my life. And if you see any, I pray that you call them out because I want to grow in my sanctification. But here's something I see in you. And I mention, mention this to you out of love. Uh, and you go from there. You know, it's, it's not a come at somebody. Let's just crucify somebody for the sake of doing it. Um, we, we want our brothers and sisters to grow and to be guarded. We're guarding each other uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ, and that's just part of uh, watching over one another's souls. Yeah, you know, in that passage we're talking about, I just quickly, while you were talking, I just looked it up, and, and this, this is a, so Paul in Romans 12 goes through these gifts, all, all of the gifts, and, he's, and he talks about zeal and mercy and cheerfulness. He's talking about a happy place. As we, yeah. as we employ these gifts together. And then he says in verse nine, let love be genuine, abhor or hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. And listen to this, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Have a contest. Yep. I mean, this is John's paraphrase. Love each other so well that you have a contest to see who can be more loving. And in the last, uh, I believe last week we talked about, uh, last episode we talked about antinomianism yeah. uh, and loving each other like you just talked about. What's that lo- that love rooted in? The law of God. We go back to God's law, and that's why we love. We love because we love God's law. It's written on our hearts, and that's how we know how to love our neighbor and lead righteously. You and I can prove that right now, almost like an algebra equation. What mm-hmm. you just said is... I'll, I'll just repeat this back. You correct me because you're the pastor in this conversation, not me. But but <laughs> believe me, but but correct this if I got it wrong. The law of God reveals to us, it's our teacher to point us to God, to who God is, isn't it? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So so then so then the new the best New Testament summary that I can think of of that is the end of Romans eleven where he says, by him, through him, and to him, or something like that, are all things, who has instructed God, and uh, I'm, I'm totally butchering it but uh, from memory, but you know, it, it's talking about very clearly who, who God is. And then Paul pivots to Romans 12 and 1 and 2, and then he goes right into, so, so it, it, is, it is because of who God is is because he first loved us and who he is and his character that, that 
demonstrated specifically in the person of Jesus Christ, but is because of his law and who he is that we are even able to function in community and love each other the way Paul is describing preferring one another, isn't it? But that, that's it. Uh, Galatians 3.24, uh, you know, Paul writes, the law was our guardian until Christ that leads us to Christ. The law is beautiful, and I think there's a bad stigma around the law of God today, but you, you can't love your neighbor as yourself unless you know God's law. You can't love God as, as the apex of all things if you don't know his law. And, and I think in cultural Christianity, love God and love your neighbor has just been turned into a pithy saying that has no legs. You, you got to dig into those roots and go, okay, well, how do I do that? You, you don't, you don't get to interpret how we do that. We don't get to interpret that. Uh, we go to God's law and it tells us, it informs us how to live. Yeah. And you, you didn't just say become a Pharisee and point your finger at other people. No. You didn't you didn't go to legalism, the other end of the spectrum. You just said God's law is not dead. It has a purpose in our lives today. And I think that's, that's, right. that's important. And the main key there is God's law, not my law. And, and, you know, the Pharisees, as we know, would add extra laws on top of that and deem themselves righteous. And uh, God's law, if anything, doesn't make us pound our chest. Uh, it's a mirror to show us how deficient we are without Christ every day, uh, every moment. And so, you know, it's hard, uh, and I heard it said like this one time, it's hard to point as a Christian my finger at someone in accusation because every time you point your finger, you got three more pointing back at you. You know, it's you look at yourself first. Uh, it's hard to accuse anybody when I know me. And, <laughs> I and know it, my and if we love each other the biblical way, uh, the agape way, uh, without reciprocity, without consideration of reciprocity, that's a that's a generous, giving, gracious love that serves us well in Christian community. I want to switch gears and ask you a tough question. You can punt on this one if you don't like it, but I would imagine the average person has no idea how hard it is to be a pastor. The I, I don't know exactly what I mean by that. I don't know. I bet it's beautiful and fulfilling, but I bet there are some things that are tough. What What would you tell us? Because because you 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 you're like the 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 shopping mall of vocations in a way. You've got all these channels, all these things you're responsible for. What What are maybe one or two things that are just just hard about being a pastor? Yeah, uh, I think um, watching over the souls of others, and it's not that, uh, you know, the hard thing about it is you you have the weight of responsibility. Um, You want to be right. It's not one of these things that you can uh, just flaunt and and answer questions flippantly. Uh, We we have to go to the Word of God as pastors on everything, and there is that weight of responsibility, at at least with me, to where when I counsel someone, I want to be extra sure that I'm not giving them my words, but I'm giving them God's words, yep. that I'm not giving my advice or opinion, but we're going to the Word of God, not not where they walk out and say, well, the pastor said this. Uh, even on Sunday mornings uh, when I preach, I never want people to say, well, Pastor Charlie said this. I want them to walk out of that sanctuary saying the Word of God says this. Uh, I don't want people to quote me. I want them to quote what God's Word says. Yeah. Uh, so as a pastor, there is that stress, I would say, or that desire for God's word to be foremost. But in that, 
we've got to get out of the way. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got to get ourselves out of the way. Uh, secondly, I would say uh, one of the greatest things that any church or anybody that is a part of a church can do for your pastor is to to begin to walk alongside of him, to begin to do ministry with him, to begin to search the scriptures with him. You know, that, that, that again, has been one of the greatest blessings of uh, Foothills Community Church, where I uh, pastor now, is God has just brought men who have stood with me on some firm ground. And many times we've had to stand our ground on some issues, but we were standing on God's word every time. Um, mm. And to have these men who would look at me and say, the pastor is standing on the word of God and we're not budging. The greatest blessing uh, of my life is, is that. It's just men and, and women who will stand firm upon God's word unflinchingly. Uh, so when those, when those tidal waves come, when those trials and tribulations come in ministry, and they will come, um, if you are a young minister, a new minister, um, it is a it is a hard profession. It is a a, a hard thing uh, because you are dealing with matters of eternity. Uh, but to have a church that truly sees the word of God as it is and desires God's word over anything else, uh, and I'll say this over opinion and preference, even because those can be uh, very very hard obstacles, boulders, if you will, yep. in ministry. Uh, can, when those they are, can be deal breaker issues for some people. They can, they can. but yeah, the, the, that can be uh, one of the hardships I think in a lot of churches is that overcoming of tradition or or my way or how things have been done. Yep, that mentality uh, can can cause a pastor a lot of heartache. And yet, some traditions are wonderful, and so it requires discernment. But I, I you know, your answer really was the weight of the responsibilities is the issue. I have some physician friends who tell me that the, you know, you know, the profession, uh, the, the uh, specialty with probably the most stress. And, and, and I, I know some people will push back on this and say, no, 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 mine is worse, but uh, is anesthesiology. And when I, when yep. I, when I ask my friends, well, why they say we take people right to the point of death with anesthesia and, it is incredibly stressful. And if we make a mistake, it's over. If most professions, you know, like your family practice guy makes a mistake, he's probably not going to kill you. But, but yeah. that, that, that pressure is probably somewhat emblematic, probably gives us a taste of, of what, a, what a pastor goes through. And yet, you trust God just like we do. So, so I, you, you used a couple of expressions that made me think about something. Um, a weakness in my life among many is that word accountability. I, I, I do not like it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if I'm honest, I think of it as somebody's excuse to control me more than I want to be controlled sometimes. Yeah. And, and yet there's a thing you have to deal with as a pastor called, and as a session called church discipline. And, mm-hmm. and I bet that lane, if you ever have to go there, is one of the most difficult things, and yet, haven't our churches drifted away from from that? And 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 by by that, I I don't mean I don't mean this form a colony and and and, and impose, you know, to use Paul's words, impose burdens on people that Scripture doesn't impose. I, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about adding to Scripture. I'm just talking about church discipline as defined in Scripture in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. It, that's got to be hard too, isn't it? It is. It is. I mean, that's one of the things that that you pray over. You're not quick to jump to. Um, and, and like you said a minute ago, and I love the analogy of 
of an anesthesiologist, uh, even more so a pastor, uh, you're dealing with life and death matters of eternity. And if, if I'm advising or if I'm approaching someone with, with an incorrect view of God's word, uh, then not only am I, not only am I anathematizing myself, but I'm also doing it to them, um, you know, just as the Pharisees did. And that's not what we want. Well, speaking of which, do you ever go home and on Sunday afternoon beat yourself up or evaluate harshly things you said or didn't say or left out or added or do you ever play kind of Monday morning quarterback with a sermon? Uh, yeah, you can ask my wife. I, I will not listen to myself preach. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't listen. I don't listen to these podcast episodes. I can't imagine what it's like to 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 be a preacher. No, uh, I'm my uh, I'm my biggest critic. I think, and uh, I will not go back and listen because I will <laughs> be in mourning all day if I do that. Well, so maybe we've <laughs> added two things to this list: uh, the 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 weight of the role we could pray about, the 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 responsibility, the duty. Uh, that that you can you can handle that and be gracious with yourself, and then the the postmortem on sermons that you could you could understand that that you're human and that you could rest in God's provision for you and the fact that he he allowed those words to come out of your mouth, not that they were perfect. I I, I would you agree with those two things that those would be important? Yes. All right. Th- so I'm gonna tell you about Mike Francis real fast. He was our old pastor and he had a heart attack and brain injury and sad situation. He's, he's still alive and, and lives a normal life uh, with his wife. They've moved back to Berkeley, California. They're sweet, sweet people. And he asked me to speak on a Sunday night at our church. And I was going to uh, kind of cruise through all of scripture naively and, you know, try to boil the ocean a little bit. And it was like my one chance. So I was going to like talk about everything I know and, and I, I got kind of frustrated with myself. And so I called him several times for help and he gave me some real practical help. This is several years ago and it was very valuable. And, and one of the things I said is, Mike, I'm just going to, I beat myself up after every time I do a talk on anything. And so how do I know I'm not going to be guilty of heresy? And he, you know what he said? You're going to love this. He said, oh, you are going to be guilty of heresy. And I said, <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He said, he said, well, you know, Unless you just read the Bible, <laughs> if you say anything else, you're probably at some level because heresy is just wrong teaching, you know, false teaching, right. error. And mm-hmm. you're subject to be very guilty of that. We all are. And you just have to come to grips with God's sovereignty, even over the words you say. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why even as pastors, when, you know, we, we preach on things and have secondary issues, we got to be very careful. Uh, you know, we, we talk about... Uh, ecclesiology and, and eschatology, particularly eschatology. When we talk about end times, I think about this often. Uh, you know, that's a that's a book of mystery, uh, the book of Revelation and the study of ecclesiology. You think? <laughs> Big time. But I, but I tell people, you know, that is not a primary issue. And I, I love what John Calvin uh, said on the matters of ecclesiology one time. He said, uh, I, will not, I will not preach through the book of Revelation because of the mystery, and what Calvin was saying was, I, I don't want to dogmatically say, "Thus saith the Lord, this is the way it plays out," and then God say, "Really?" Well, <laughs> when you stand, I'm not sure I know what that red horse symbolizes. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so no, I, I agree with you that that we uh, we we are all prone to error, 
And all we can do is trust the Word of God and trust what we're saying. And let me say this, too. A pastor, before he steps in the pulpit, and this is on us, we've got to be prepared. You, you cannot walk into a pulpit to proclaim the living Word of God and just have looked at uh, a passage of Scripture for an, for an hour or so. Yep. Um, you, you have to have put your time in. And if you truly are called of God, you'll desire that. Um, I, I tell people often when I step off from behind the pulpit that I truly believe I get more out of the sermon than anybody. In fact, totally. I'm, yes. Most every Sunday I tell people, look, I, I'm preaching to me. <laughs> I got the, the board over the head first before you did. Yeah, no kidding. That is so true. And you're right about that preparation being so sweet. I, I want I want to pivot uh, slightly because it's very similar in that you and your wife are one and uh, you care about these things. And this is this is one of those questions where once you see it, you can't unsee it. So, so it might just be a comment and you might feel awkward even about talking about this because I know how you and Lacey operate and a little bit about your family. A pastor's wife has a tough, tough job and where the part that I've seen that I can't unsee is not in your church. It's in my church where mm. they have to be a certain thing for some people. There's an expectation. I mean, and first of all, they love the Lord. They're, 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 they're ministering alongside you. They're supporting you. They're, if they're a godly wife, they're, they're, they're doing you know a lot of things in the home and outside of the home and ministering to people. But the thing that concerns me is expectations of the congregation on the pastor's wife. And I don't even know what I mean when I say that. It, mm. it, it can include a bunch of lifestyle issues, uh, the way they dress, the way they look, who they talk to, where they sit, uh, all, all that and more. And then there's the they fill gaps in the church. If, if, somebody's, yep. if somebody's not in the nursery – then they do it or they they make 50 phone calls on Saturday night to get things done. This dovetails with what you said earlier, as, as you well know, about ways we can love our pastor and support our pastor well is by engaging. Because doesn't the pastor's wife end up being a gap filler and, and, and kind of a, a thankless gap filler in a lot of ways? Uh, you know, I, I tell uh, I've spoken to, to many men that are called into the ministry and I tell them that if you are called, your wife will also be called. And and that is true. The wife is called to the ministry as well. And one of the great ways to love your pastor is to love your pastor's wife, because uh, it is hard uh, for a pastor's wife. She deals with the same burdens that the pastor has. And furthermore, you, you just said it, the pastor's wife is many times put under a microscope, uh, you know, the way she dresses, the way she raises her kids, the way she educates her children, what, what she does. You know, everything is under that microscope and, uh, you know, people can speak at times kindly uh, in front, but behind uh, it creates a, an, an, an area of mistrust, I guess, uh, for a pastor's wife. So so I would say that the greatest thing, uh, one of the greatest things that you can do besides praying for your pastor is uh, love his love his wife, too, because she's called to and um, she's called to ministry and she wants to serve faithfully. Uh, see where where she's serving and and come alongside of her, but befriend her as well. And and I would say this: don't just look at her as uh, the pastor's wife, but but desire to to be a helpmate uh, in a way to her. You know, pastors' wives need women to be friends with them, uh, and women that they can open up to. You know, we 
We all have uh, we all have crises in our lives. We all have times we need to talk about things. And uh, many times, a pastor's wife, uh, you know, doesn't feel like she can just have a friend to talk to about things that are bothering her uh, because she's the pastor's wife. She's supposed to <laughs> supposed to have it all together. Yep. Yep. You just hit a but nerve. Are, I, you just hit a nerve because there's a sense at which I know you don't live like this, but there's a sense that you and your wife don't really have peers in your church. And, you know, I, I felt that way as CEO of a bank. I felt like I, I got to have somebody I can just go talk to, you know, who's a friend and I can't go talk to competitors. Mm-hmm. And I, I know you don't see other pastors as competitors, but, but there, there's, no. va- there's value in, in having people in your church come alongside you because you're, you're still, I mean, you're called to be a pastor and that's a special calling, a very special calling that we should honor, but you're still a flawed sinner who struggles with all the things that every person struggles with. And your wife is right there with you. It might even be harder on her because she's not in the official senior pastor position and yet has expectations that, as you just outlined, can be very challenging. Now in a healthy church like yours, uh, you know, I, I, I've been there a few times and I, 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 I see a, a good, healthy culture, and I'm sure you would agree with that. But I think for all of us, we kind of have to keep in mind that these are challenging roles where you're not looking for 150 best friends out of your congregation. You just couldn't do that practically. But that coming alongside that you just mentioned is important uh, and supporting through uh, the Christian community there inside your church? Yes. Uh, you know, one of the things when we first were called into ministry that my wife struggled with the most was having a friend uh, that she felt she could truly confide in that, that would be there for her, a true friend that wouldn't just view her as the pastor's wife, you know, and smile on Sunday morning, but, yep. but you know, have expectations placed upon her. Not a, not a friend I, because of position, but a real friend. A real friend. And, and, you know, it's funny. I have heard that same sentiment echoed from other pastors' wives that they don't feel that they have any true friends because of the position that their husband is in. Yep. Uh, now, God has been gracious to us. And today, Lacey has many uh, women that she confides in and are truly godly sisters, praise the Lord. But that being said, that can be a hard thing for any pastor's wife to develop that trust in another another woman, a friend, and be seen as, think of them as truly a friend and not someone who has one eye on them in a critical way. Yeah. And it, it, it just to close this part up, just, just, I've got another question I want to just talk in closing about our culture. But before we do that, that whole being supportive and honoring you and your wife by being friends, it helps you deal with the, I'm not going to say this uh, artfully, but that that sense of kind of always being on guard, you know, you've got yeah. to, you've got to be able to relax and be human, and Absolutely. and, and a, I think a congregation can help the the pastor and his wife do that. Yeah, and that's part of loving again, loving your pastor, loving their family. Uh, if you truly love your pastor and love their family, you don't view them as an employee or somebody that's expendable. You love them as part of the body of Christ, just like you would love any other brother or sister. Uh, you are a family of God. Uh, and I think that, that that's uh, lost many times, that even even the pastor, even those that are elders that are called to lead are also part of the family of God. You know, 
one of the battles, and I want to wrap this conversation up with this, and this is this is quite a segue. One of the battles we have is, and and we have it in the church. I feel like I have it as a as a teacher, even a podcaster. A responsibility is is we function in a culture that is not just weird, but increasingly sinful. It seems, and there are all kinds of challenges that come with that. But I I, I want to get you to just talk for a minute because pastors struggle just like the rest of us do. It's, it's important. You talked in a previous episode about how to find a good church. And I think you gave people some really good advice, but how, how should we look at these failures by pastors where they, they, you know, I mentioned anesthesiologists earlier. They, they burn out in just a few years. I forget their, their average, uh, uh, the average tenure, their vocation, but I think it's like seven years and, and pastors are, are similar. You probably know those statistics, but, I'm not just thinking of burnout, but I'm thinking lately there've been high profile cases where people have struggled with sin of all types. Pastors who were once true to God's word have drifted uh, away. We've, you and I've talked about that in a couple of podcast episodes, but I'm just wondering if you can, you can talk about that. The challenges of, uh, and, and really the issue I'm trying to get to is, is, is I'm back on the, what are we to think about our church and our pastor and how do we guard against and how even do pastors guard against if any of them are listening, this, this falling away, this trend, this tendency for the church to imitate the culture? Well, well, I think that's a great question. I think it kind of feeds into what we've been talking about. Uh, Many times uh, a church can, can create this void or chasm uh, with the pastor by uh, an impersonal relationship as we were previously talking about, seeing him as someone that is elevated. And, you know, and, and when a church does that, when a church views a pastor as the Pope, if you will, kind of thing, and puts that pedestal up there, that's a very dangerous thing, not only for the congregation, but also for the pastor, because instead of having real relationships, then the pastor begins to not only feel these expectations that many times can be legalistic, but they also start to live in a, a cave, so to speak. They have no one they can be uh, themselves with. They have no one they can be uh, accountable with and share their, their burdens and share their struggles, uh, even share their, their, their struggles with sin, you know, with a brother or sister. And so they live in this cave and therefore they're by themselves with no one uh, being iron sharpening iron, so to speak. And I believe that's how many pastors fall because they they walk this Christian life by themselves. And the pastorate can be a lonely, lonely place for many pastors because they feel that burden of, listen, I've, I've got to be seen as this. I've got to be seen always as having it together. I cannot be transparent with anybody. And so they walk their Christian life by themselves, which, you know, is a dangerous thing. And that's when the enemy aims that target and, and, and pastors can fall because there is no accountability because there's no real, real relationships in their life. Yeah, that, that's a good answer. I, 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 I want to ask you just kind of one more uh, related question, and that is if somebody's listening and they say, you know, they, they talk about exegesis and eisegesis, and, and, and these guys seem to have an understanding of of, of what they're talking about. And, and I'm, I'm not sure I'm getting that. I get a little bit of a different theology 
in in my church. And what one of the kind of the other side of that support your pastor coin is how do you evaluate whether or not you're in you know the right church that is that is actually a, a biblical church founded on scripture? Could you just quickly bullet a couple of things that would be helpful to people who are wondering? You know, am, am I in the right place? Do I have the right pastor? Uh, I believe it was uh, R.C. Sproul one time that said, if a church, if a pastor steps into a pulpit and does not read from the Word of God within the first two minutes, get up and leave. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like that. And, and really, there's some wisdom in that um, because, uh, I, you know, we talk about exegesis, eisegesis. Uh, as we talked about before, eisegesis is reading into the text. Uh i.e., I'll give you an example, uh, and this is one of my pet peeves, uh, sermon series that are themed around uh, modern-day movies, you know, r- putting our culture into the text and reading it that way, yep. or or thematic sermons that are more about trying to get people's attention and create a spectacle rather than the Word of God. Exegesis, on the other hand, is when a pastor proclaims the Word of God in its uh, historical, uh, grammatical context, uh, rightly from verse by verse, from the beginning to end, explaining all the nuts and bolts of it. Uh, is your pastor doing that? that? That's a sign of a biblical church. I tell my congregation, uh, you know, I, early on in my ministry, I had such a fear of stepping into a pulpit and proclaiming me, Charlie, that literally uh, my sermons were flooded with more scripture uh, than anything. Uh, and my sermons are still that way today. Uh, but the reason is I want our hearers, our congregation, to walk away with more of God's Word rather than my Word, um, mm. because what I say is uh, inconsequential. The Word of God is what speaks, and I, w- I would say at a church you go to, is the pastor preaching, taking out of the context or out of the verse in an exegetical way? Is he is he looking at the Scriptures and rightly preaching them, or is he adding his opinion, or is he making it a, a smoke, lights, and mirror fun kind of thing? Um, what are we getting out of this? And 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 really, what you're not saying is, if he has a sermon where, you know, you walk out thinking, well, his oratory skills weren't quite up to speed today, like they usually are. You're not you're not talking about being hypercritical of a pastor. You're talking about a trend over time. Does he, you know, is he is he expository in his in his style? I mean, I think I think that's important. Uh, uh, yeah. And by expository, I mean. All I mean when I say that is what I really mean at its fullest extent is is preaching God's word, preaching through God's word systematically. But but at least uh, even if he's a topical pastor, preaching God's word in context. And I I don't know that it's possible to be a topical pastor and do that. You know, I think. Well, you know, I'm not one that bashes topical sermons. I think expository is the way to go. I think occasionally there's time. Yep. Yep, the calendar, but, but even, for example, the even, calendar can dictate that from time to time. Well, even in topical, though, you know, as far as, say, we're, we're having a sermon series that is topical on answering a cultural question. You know, some churches will answer the question, they'll read the, the Bible verse, one verse, and then they'll go on the next 40 minutes to give their take on what they think it means. Uh, scripture interprets Scripture. So even when we're looking to answer the question of Scripture, what does Scripture mean by this? Uh, the Old Testament answers the New Testament. You know, uh, the New Testament is is the light that the Old Testament was pointing to. I mean, Scripture answers Scripture. So in saying that, what I mean is, 
even when we're looking at, uh, through a lens of a uh, topical sermon, it should still be flooded with the Word of God and not the pastor's own position on something. Final bonus question, and I mentioned this to you, uh, I think it was last week before we talked, the implications of COVID-19 on the church. And and it's just too big for the last couple of minutes of a podcast episode, but it breaks my heart, not not because I think I'm better than other people who, who have a problem with this, but that we are not assembling the church, the evangelical church. The bride of Christ is perfect. I understand that. That's the real universal church. But the local church is struggling. Churches are failing. And, and, and this, this has been a pattern for decades. But COVID-19 accelerated that process because a lot of people, not I don't know how many, I don't know what the percentages are. I wouldn't probably trust them if somebody tried to tell us because I don't think this data is measured very well. But there are people who stay home. I anecdotally you know, told you about somebody uh, that, that I know about who, who kind of has, has decided that, you know, that was safer and it's more convenient. And, and I get all of that. And I'm thankful that they're at least participating virtually. They're at least, you know, logging on and, and, and watching a, a service. But just in closing, take a couple of minutes to talk about that. Cause I think that's another way we support our pastor, uh, you know, by, by, by being there. And, you know, you, we could, we could spend all day on, don't just be there. Don't sit and fall asleep. Pay attention. Smile at your pastor every now and then while he's, you know, if you've ever done any public speaking, you know, it's nice to have a crowd engaged, but, but specifically, you know, being there is important, not just to support your pastor, but because of the, the sense of community that is talked about so clearly in, in uh, acts. Yeah. James, uh, James Coates is a great example of this, John MacArthur. And what I mean by that is, you know, we can look at uh, we can look at COVID nineteen and talk about how it has affected the church as far as more people now are are thinking that the church is uh, an online thing that they can have church online and not go to the building. And I've heard many pastors kind of chastise the people about this, but I put more responsibility on the pastors and how they conducted themselves and led during COVID nineteen that mm. time because many pastors. You know, that they fed into this mentality of let's let's stay locked down for for months, for a year for a year or, or longer, you know, and not move. Uh, they, they fed this rather than looking at what was going on and saying, look, w- w- the word of God is utmost. Uh, the greatest need that anybody has is the word of God and for the church. Uh, to be proclaiming the Word of God openly. Uh, and I, I mentioned James Coates, pastor in Canada, who was arrested for opening his church during COVID-19. John MacArthur, uh, who also uh, was uh, had the authorities uh, on the cusp of arresting him, which they didn't, but uh, they fined him uh, in his church for, for preaching. And both of these men, for a time, there was caution. You know, originally they did close the doors to assess what is this we're dealing with. But but when it came time to see that, look, there's a greater need, God's word, they were unashamed and, and bold in saying, look, you know, we're not closing these doors forever. They will be open. So I think, you know, when, when we talk about COVID-19, it has affected the church as far as now there are more online viewers um, and not going physically to a church. They're seeing church as something they can do online. But I think, again, I think a lot of uh, pastors fed that mentality by their actions during COVID-19. And we need to think very carefully about, uh, as pastors, how we will navigate uh, the waters again if this happens again in the future. Yeah. 
Well, and you would agree with me that, that, that just as a side note, that whatever this thing is that Kanye West is doing is not some sort of substitute even for young people for, for engagement in a local church. Absolutely. <laughs> we have this. <laughs> is, that, is, that the easiest, this is that the easiest question of the day? It was a, it was a softball, um, <laughs> but you know, it, it might be one for for another podcast because uh, uh, we have this thing in our, our Christian culture that when a celebrity, uh, any celebrity, says the name of Jesus or attends a, a, any church service, we are immediately saying, "Oh, they're Christian. They're one of us. They're believers," and we do not evaluate their theology. We don't evaluate the church they're they're going to. Uh, it's just they said Jesus's name. Yeah. Okay, well, Mormons say the name of Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses say the name of Jesus. Articulately, uh, just because, yep. Yeah, just because somebody says, I love Jesus, we got to dig deeper than that and say, okay, what Jesus do you love? Uh, what does your Jesus look like? Does he look like the Jesus in Scripture? Or, or are you making a Jesus of your own device? Well, Charlie, this has been a special episode. I'm I'm thankful that you are so transparent and willing to kind of pour your heart out and let me press you a little bit on help, helping us kind of uh, look under the hood and see what what it's like to be a pastor. I, I think this is going to be helpful. I, I love the way you led with a prayer for your pastor and you explained what that means. And we came back to that several times and we talked about some uh, very pragmatic ways to love your pastor. And, and, and then we, we talked about your uh, pastor's wife. So thank you again for, for being with me. I always appreciate you. These episodes are, they're, they're frankly the ones that get the most attention from a, a listening standpoint. And I, I just appreciate your insight so much. Well, thank you, John. It's always fun to be on with you anytime. All right. Well, folks, if you will, uh, please like share review and subscribe to relentless truth. You can find out more about our work again at johnwarrenmedia.com. Send along an email to john at johnwarrenmedia.com. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren. Thank you.